Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. I hope you're happy, healthy, and safe. Today on the show, we're having a look at the Academy Awards through the eyes of some of the people that are nominated this year. A little bit later on, Austin Butler talks about his Oscar-nominated performance as Elvis in the movie of the same name. Brendan Fraser stops by to talk about The Whale. But first up, one of my favorite stories from all of awards season. Ki Huang Kwan is nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once after a layoff of 20 years from acting. Here's some info on the movie and his incredible story in his own words. Everything, everywhere, all at once is a wild and woolly adventure where the quirk factor is turned up to 11 and literally anything could happen and does. It's a full tilt boogie story about a laundromat owner in trouble with the IRS who was sent off to another dimension to battle an evil spirit. I loved it. It's really great. And I have one of the stars of the film visiting with me today. His name is Ki Hui Kwan. Now you know him as Short Round, the plucky kid companion to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and from a role in the cult classic comedy adventure, The Goonies. We'll talk about why he chose a return to acting in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once after a 20-year break from Hollywood. Ki Huey Kwan joins me via Zoom from his home in Los Angeles. Well, uh, my good friend, Jeff B. Cohen, a.k.a. Chunk from the Goonies, uh, once said to me that no actor willingly gives them acting because it is the greatest profession in the world. Uh, and yeah, I mean, when I was little, I was very fortunate to be in a couple of really memorable roles. Mm -hmm. uh, but if I'm being honest, as I got older, uh, and really began to pursue acting, uh, there was just not a lot of opportunities for me. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, I found myself at a, at a crossroad where do I want to continue down a path where I don't see a future for myself or do I want to take the unknown road? Uh, and I chose the unknown over the known because uh, when all you do is just sit around and wait for the phone to ring, uh, not a job offer, but an opportunity to audition uh, for 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 an uh, for a role, and especially when back then a lot of the projects that did featured Asian characters, they were so one-sided, they were so marginalized, they were so stereotypical, and a lot of them were like you know one or two lines, uh, or if you're lucky, you'll be featured in two or three pages. I've auditioned for a lot of those. Mm -hmm. uh, and they just, it was just, it was, it was disheartening. Uh, it wasn't fun anymore. Uh, and, and, and that's why I stepped away. And it was a very difficult decision to make. Uh, so I went to film school. Uh, and after I graduated, I started working behind the camera. And I was content doing that mm -hmm. until 2018, when a little movie called Crazy Witch Asians came out. And I remember watching it three times in the movie theater and I cried every single time. I cried because it was a, a great movie. It, it was, it was it, with great characters, but I also cried because I had serious FOMO. <laughs> you know, uh, I, 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 I so wanted to be up there on the screen with all my fellow Asian actors. And really, it was really then that, that the idea of getting back 
to my roots started taking place. Um, and so one day I call up an agent friend of mine um, and ask him if he want to represent me. And this is after decades without an agent. And he said, yes. Two weeks later, literally two weeks later, I got a call about this project, everything, everywhere, all at once. And I read it, absolutely fell in love with the script and in particular, this role, Wayman, I thought it was written for me. Uh, and I wanted it so bad. Well, you've talked about how you felt that that the role of Wayman was written for you. Tell me a little bit about why, because if people haven't seen the movie that are listening to this, it's a little hard to explain, but you're actually playing more than one Wayman. You are playing him in a couple of different universes, and he has vastly different uh, personalities in each of these universes. And what is so beautiful about this performance is how almost in the middle of a sentence, sometimes you change from one Wayman to another and you can feel it in your face. You never get lost. You always, as an audience member, know which one you're, you're uh, looking at. So tell me, why did it resonate so much with you? Well, it, it, from the very, very beginning, I knew it was important that the audience is able to distinguish the different versions of Wayman. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they're so and they're vastly different. You're listening to Ki Huey Kwan on the Richard Krauss show. Find his new film, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, at a theater near you. And the reason why I, I, I felt that this role was written for me is because, you know, looking back uh, my life experience, all those years of, of working in front and behind the camera. And, and, you know, I mean, honestly, a lot of, you know, a lot of the, the experiences, you know, you know, uh, in my life that were ups and downs, you know, peaks and valleys. And, and you know, I always say a, a full life is a life full of ups and downs. And certainly I had it. I had that. Uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but I mean, I, you know, when I was very young, uh, my family decided to flee Vietnam right after the Vietnam War. So when I was little, my family was separated. Uh, and we were very lucky to be reunited here in America. Uh, so, so just, I mean, when I, when I look back upon my life, I felt that these three different versions of Wayman was me at different parts and, and uh, at different, different times in life in different aspects, different phases of my life. For example, uh, you know, when, 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 when things were tough, you know, I would, you know, uh, uh, go to Wayman in this universe for his optimism for his 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 empathy for his kindness uh when i when i was struggling to stay in the business you know i would look to the alpha wayman for you know for his you know for for the fight in him uh cuz he's not you know he doesn't give up he fights and and he's very mission driven uh and then uh one of the universes that i love very much was the it was the movie star universe yeah yeah uh, so all of that, I mean, th that's part of my life. And, and honestly, had, had this role been offered to me 10 or 15 years ago, I don't think I could have done it. Uh, but, but being where I am now, uh, you know, I felt comfortable and I was able, I mean, I literally, I poured my entire life into these three different characters. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it, it's just been a really wonderful journey. Uh, well, it's yeah. such a wonderful performance. I enjoyed it so much. I enjoyed watching it so much because unlike so many movies that we see today, 
I had no idea what was going to happen next. And I have said this before, you can say a lot of things about everything, everywhere, all at once, but you can't say that you've ever seen anything quite like it before. So I wonder what it was like when you're reading the script for the first time, I heard that you were crying, that you were laughing, there was a lot of emotion that came out of you. But did you understand it on the first go around? It must have been very complicated. Uh, it was, uh, I was warned and, and from the very beginning, uh, and I was told that in order to fully understand the script, you need to go watch Swiss Army Man, which is the first, the mm -hmm. Danish first feature. Uh, and I remember watching Swiss Army Man and I laughed, I cried, I was totally immersed in the movie. And I said, man, if these directors can take such an outrageous premise about a corpse that farts throughout the entire movie and, 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 have, and, and have me in tears, yep. I think they can do anything. And when I sat down and I turned the first page, I, I was overwhelmed with emotions because one, I don't think I've ever read a script that features a Chinese family the way it did in this movie. Uh, it was beautifully written. Uh, and, and as not knowing what the story was about, I kept turning the page and turning the page. And still, this family was still in the script, mm -hmm. unlike I think, I think I said earlier, unlike the scripts that I read when I was in my late teens and my early 20s. So it was really refreshing. And for some reason, I got it. I understood it. You know, it's, I, yes, it's a crazy science fiction drama with, you know, comedy and it's action packed. But at the core of it, it was about this family was, that was that's trying to be together, to, to be connected with each other. Uh, it, during difficult times. And, and that was what I gravitated towards, uh, was the emotional aspect of the, of the script. Well, what I loved was not only the, did it not, I mean, it made my eyeballs dance. I loved that, just watching it. It was, was so much fun. I loved the performances. But for me, what I took away at the core of it, that it's about kindness. And, and and being nice, these things that we seem to not value as much these days as maybe we once did. Uh, and yet, uh, at, by the end of this movie, you've had this wild ride, and there's this very simple, but I thought very potent message at the end of it. Just, just be nice, and everything will be okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I love Wayman so much. You know, he, you know, he, not only is he an optimist, but he's, he also really believes in empathy. Yeah. And, and, and especially, I mean, empathy, you know, it, you know, creates a pathway for understanding and acceptance. Uh, and I certainly feel that, you know, we need it more than ever, especially what, what everybody has gone through in the last mm -hmm. two years. I understand it's been difficult for everybody. Uh, so it, that, that's why, you know, it is my hope that when people go watch our movie, uh, you know, they can escape the real world for a couple of hours and then walk away from it feeling like they, you know, they, they, they just witnessed a great conversation being had a conversation about family, love and connection. And also, I mean, most importantly is, you know, the message, you know, like you said about kindness, but also, you know, that we are all entitled to be uniquely ourselves and to feel just simply, you know, that's enough. One of the things that makes Waymond uh, uniquely himself uh, is that he has an unusual weapon. He has a fanny pack that he uses in a very skillful way uh, to fight off. So you've got it right. <laughs> I love that so By much. By the way, 
This so this is the fanny pack that I brought home to practice. Right. No. So uh, tell me about that. Apparently, your wife didn't love that you were practicing at home. Well, this fanny pack fully extended is sixty-seven feet long, <laughs> and can you imagine? I mean, I was swinging this thing everywhere I went in my house, to the kitchen, to the bedroom, to the living room, and and I, I was constantly hitting things. I was breaking things left and right. Uh, and so, yeah, so my wife wasn't too happy. She kept saying, honey, go into the backyard and practice. Don't practice in the house. But I mean, I would be watching television and I would still be swinging it around my neck, around my shoulders, because it's such a it's such a, a difficult style to master. Mm. Uh, the particular style is called Wushu Rope Dart. And it's something that I've never learned before. I studied Taekwondo. Uh, so, so, you know, there was a lot of pressure for me to deliver because not only is it a great action sequence, but also when you do a movie with Michelle Yeoh, she's freaking the queen of martial arts movies. So you really need to step up and bring your A game, you know? So yeah, luckily I've had all that time to, uh, to train. Well, it's fantastic in the movie. Uh, I think we're almost out of time here. I just have one question here. And I read a quote from you where you say uh, that people will come up to you on the street and say, you're the OG, you paved the way for us to be here with the success of Crazy Rich Asians and fresh off the boat on television uh, with the success of this movie, which is already doing very well in theaters and, and so many other things that are showcasing Asian culture. Um, do you feel like the OG? Do you feel, do, how do you feel about that when they say that to you? You know, you know, um, uh, yes. Over the, over the, over the years, I've met a lot of Asian talents working in Hollywood and, and they do come up uh, they tell me I'm the OG, um, uh, and they and they thank me for paving the way for them to be here. And honestly, they are also the one that paved the way for my return. And I'm so grateful to see, um, you know, for the for the Asian representation that we've been seeing for the last few years. Well, it obviously makes you emotional. And, and I understand that because this is something that you dreamed about, I guess, for decades. And, and here it is manifest in front of you. And I think that last answer that you just gave me and the emotion that came out of you uh, proves and shows how important representation is on screen. I, I'm, I'm so I'm so bad at this. Every time I talk about it, I, I get emotional. <laughs> and and you, you, you know what? You're absolutely right. You're listening to Key Hawaii Kwan on The Richard Krause Show. Find his movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, in theaters now. If, if my return to acting says anything, it is a testament to how important it is. Not just Asians, but every group of people to be represented in entertainment. Mm -hmm. And it's until you see it, you still can't believe that it is you. It also could be you up there on the screen. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, my, I'm so happy, but I don't wanna look back. I wanna look forward. Absolutely. And, and I wanna be optimistic and I'm very inspired and I'm very hopeful where things are right now and where we're heading. Uh, I know there's still a lot more work to be done, uh, but with all sustainable improvements, you know, it always happened gradually. Uh, and yes, I'm, 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 I'm very happy uh, and I'm very grateful for, uh, for how things are going. 
This is Wang. This is Wang. Mrs. Wang, are you with us? I am paying attention. Now, you may only see a pile of receipts, but I see a story. I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. your husband. I'm another version of him from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today. Uh, no time to help you. James Hong, that must have been exciting to work with him. Such a legend. And to be able to spend time and work with him must have really meant something. Yes. And, and if you want to talk about OG, that yeah. is the ultimate OG. Uh, you know, we, we share a lot of stories about uh, working in Hollywood decades ago, especially him, because he started in the 1950s. And, and he was telling me stories about how his name is James. But people back then always referred to him or call him, you know, the Chinaman, the Chinaman, get the Chinaman on the set. They never called his name. That was a story that he shared with me. And I remember hearing it and, and I was very emotional. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, it's James is not a difficult name to pronounce, you know. Uh, so, I mean, again, I think he shares my sentiment. Uh, he said, you know, he waited 70 years for us to to be here, to, to, to you know, for the, for the representation that we have been longing for. You know, so he waited much longer than I than I did. You know, I waited only only, you know, 30, you know, 30 something years. He waited 70 years. Um, and so to be able to work with him in this movie, it, it's truly inspiring. And that guy's 93 years old. And it's incredible to see that his passion for acting, it's still burning bright and strong after being in this business for 70 years. And that is incredible. You've been listening to Ki Hue Kwan on The Richard Krause Show, talking about his new film, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. You can say a lot of things about everything, everywhere, all at once, but you can't say that you've ever seen a movie quite like it before. It's an eye-popping reflection on the power of kindness and love to heal the world's problems. It is simultaneously exhilarating and just a just a little bit exhausting. There's a lot happening in this movie. The directors, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinhart, known collectively as The Daniels, mix and match everything from family drama and tax problems to martial arts and metaphysics into a whimsical story that moves at the absolute speed of light. The result is a singular film that milks intentionality out of its madness. It comes highly recommended from me. The Oscars are back on Sunday, March 12th. Tune in to see whether Ki Hue Kwan and Everything Everywhere All at Once takes home the gold. They're nominated for 11 Academy Awards, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I'm having a look at the Oscars and some of the nominees, some people that I got a chance to speak to this year. The movie Elvis is nominated for eight Academy Awards, including two for my guests, Baz Luhrmann as director and Austin Butler for playing the title role. You're looking for trouble. You came to the right place. 
The film covers 20-ish years in the lives of Elvis and his manager, Colonel Tom Parker, through the birth of rock and roll in the late 1950s and the cheesy Hollywood years to the legendary 1968 comeback special and the Las Vegas rise and fall. It's the story of how Elvis and the Colonel shimmied and shook their way to the top of the charts and into the history books. Are you ready to fly? Get a haircut, buttercup! In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero. The greatest show on earth. Elvis? Baz, I'll start with you because you've been involved with this film the longest. You speak of using Elvis as a way of exploring America. What does the story of Elvis Presley tell us about the United States? Oh, I mean, there's so many layers. And certainly you can't delve into um, look at America in the 50s, 60s and 70s without looking at the issue of race and of social turmoil and of, like just the push me pull you. I mean, though the amount there are there are the assassinations and the historical events that happen throughout the movie that are reflected through where Elvis is um, are very real, and you know it's kind of a history play. But also, and above and beyond everything else, it's a cautionary tale about the show and the business. I mean, Colonel Tom Parker, never Colonel, never Tom, never Parker. This, you know, the big, big American gestures, sell, 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 ho, 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 yeah, yeah, roll up, roll up, and the soul, you know, and the sensitivity of this artist who the good, the bad, and the ugly was there to reflect back to us through, through that entire period, and it's there, I think, to reflect to us today. Austin, I'm just going to follow up on Baz's answer. Do you really think that people understand the full width and breadth of Elvis's story? There are so many layers to it, and we all see him through a slightly different lens. I tend to think of him from the 68 comeback special, but there are so many facets to him. Do you think that it's possible to see the person that Elvis actually was? I think the vast majority don't. Yeah, I think, I think most people don't, um, because at this point he's been relegated to either a Halloween costume or, in this, or a caricature that your uncle does, you know, or it's this thing where people will go to the home in Tupelo and kiss the floor where he was born. And so there's this, this being held up to such an iconic status that he, he is larger than human. And, uh, and so I, I think a lot of people don't know the sensitive side of him and and the spiritual side of him and as well as the fact of the thing where you have an icon that you kind of think that they just came out of nowhere but putting his story into context as as I know you know a lot more than the than the average layman you know but but putting his story into context of uh, like what Baz was saying the the stories of him going to the gospel tent when he's such a young boy and and feeling the spirit of gospel music and uh, being down on Beale Street and being so inspired by the clothing and, and by Little Richard and Sister Rosetta Tharp and uh, Big Mama Thornton. And, and, and I mean, all of that is just um, is, is a, a part of his story that I think there's many misconceptions about and credit hasn't been given where credit is due a lot of the time. And, uh, and so, yeah, I'm really proud of the fact that 
I get to be a part of of this film with Baz and Olivia, and and uh, and and it's it's really remarkable what Baz has done with this, because to to find a way of telling his story from a little boy to when he passes away mm. in a film. I, I can't even wrap my mind around how you did this, Baz. I mean, it really is remarkable. You've done such a brilliant job. <laughs> Me neither. Um, yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Baz Luhrmann, Austin Butler, and Olivia de Jong on The Richard Krause Show. Their movie Elvis is in theaters everywhere right now. Olivia, we all know how important Priscilla was to Elvis in this particular section of his life. Tell me about her journey, though, from your perspective. There is a heart-wrenching scene where you break up with Elvis, essentially saying, this is it, I can't take this anymore. It's a gut-wrenching scene uh, played out from the point of a woman who's finally putting herself first, which probably wasn't the case a lot of times in those days. So tell me a little bit about playing that. And I don't think you had met Priscilla at that point, right? No, I had not. We had not touched base until after the fact. Um, You know, I think from the get-go, I maybe it was just because of... Um, my interpretation of 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 women and how I I would like or love for them to be portrayed, which is always with a little bit more strength. Mm-hmm. I think that with Priscilla, her sensitivity is very important, and I think it would have been maybe easy to fall into the trope of just playing like a sensitive, quiet, small woman. But for me, I I sort of was like, this sensitivity is a strength, and this femininity is a strength, and it is heartbreaking what happened um, and how, you know, they, 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 they broke up. But I think what was beautiful about this film and what was really important for, the, for their narrative, I think, to reintroduce to, to, I guess, the people, for lack of a better word, um, is, is the fact that they remained incredibly close friends and incredibly close confidants after their divorce. And um, she continued to support his legacy. I think he was. She was one of. You know, she really knew how much that he meant to the people, and how much that he meant to the world. You know, it's such a testament to their connection. And I think, you know, for the scenes that I did have, I wanted that 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 backbone to be there. And I, I think she was an incredibly important part of his life. She really grounded him. I think she really was the one person, you know, maybe in the entire world that really saw him. So I think those were important things I wanted to touch on. Okay, this question's for all of you. If you had to pick one Elvis song and one Elvis film as essential, I guess, primers about Elvis for someone who's not as familiar with them as we are, what would they be? I mean, I, I mean, the film is, the, the film is Kidrell because, just because actually you realize when he says at the end of the movie, I've never done anything significant, I'm almost 40, and his dream of being an actor, you can see that he really did have potential. For me, the song, and I don't do lists, but i got to say that the film closes out with In the Ghetto. And when he sings In the Ghetto, <clears throat> I've seen a lot of younger people hear that song and go, I had no idea Elvis Presley recorded a song like that. And the way he sings it, with, spirit, with spiritual purity, he connects, and I think it shows you how he can affect people and tell a story through song. Mm. Austin, how about you? I, I agree on King Creel. Um, I mean, there, there's there's a, a ton of these films out there, like Wild in the Country, or, or you know, that, where I just think he's actually extraordinary. But I think King Creel, because of the fact that that was a film that was being prepped for James Dean, that was Michael Curtiz directing. You know, th- this is this is a moment where it showed so much promise for his career. 
um, and I think he's he's really great in it. Um, and as far as songs, it's so hard to choose. I mean, the first one that came to my mind is American Trilogy, because it's it's just the you get to hear these th- yeah. three different <clears throat> emotional places. It's three songs put together. It's essentially about unity. We're we're mm-hmm. taking songs from across the line and bringing them together into one mm-hmm. piece of music. And and then also just the way that it has that little, what do you call that, an interlude in the middle where it sort of mm, comes down That's and right. then the crescendo at the end. Yeah, it so just, actually, every time it lifts my soul. Olivia, what do you think? I'll keep it short. I'm Chain Melody. Oh. Yeah, I yeah. just, you know, as someone who didn't know much about Elvis, I that, that song just really touched me. And I think, you know, the final performance... Um, was, yeah, really touched me. So, mm. Chain Melody. Mm. Thanks very much, and congratulations on the movie. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Thank, thank you. So you. That was Olivia de Young, who plays Priscilla in the film, alongside Academy Award nominees Baz Luhrmann for Director and Best Picture, and Austin Powers for his incredible performance as Elvis Presley in the movie Elvis. <laughs> Thanks for spending part of your day with me today as I introduce you to some of the Academy Award nominees. We've met Ki Hoang Kwan, we've met Austin Butler, Baz Luhrmann, Brendan Fraser, whose performance as a 600-pound man in The Whale earned him a six-minute standing ovation at the Venice Film Festival, is our next nominee. The movie has earned him a raft of nominations and wins during awards season. He's nominated for Best Actor at the Oscars, which will be presented on Sunday, March 12, 2023. Now, if you haven't seen The Whale yet, let me tell you about it. Despite its dark subject matter, The Whale, from Oscar-nominated director Darren Aronofsky, is colored by a swirl of love, understanding, and empathy. Fraser, in his first leading role in nearly a decade, plays Charlie, a housebound, 600-pound online English professor. Agoraphobic and unable to leave his apartment, the only outside contact Charlie has is his nurse, an only friend played by Hong Chow, and the occasional visit from the pizza delivery guy. Charlie suffers from a twice-broken heart, once by congestive heart failure, the second by the death of his partner, Alan. Where'd you get all that weight? Someone close to me passed away, and it had an effect on me. Now with just days to live, he has one wish. He wants to repair the relationship with his estranged daughter, Ellie, played by Stranger Things' Sadie Sink. She's a 17-year-old he hasn't seen since he left the family after falling in love with Alan, one of his students. I need to know that she's going to have a decent life where she cares about people and that she's going to be okay. Ellie was just eight years old when he deserted her, and she wants nothing to do with him, but she reluctantly relents when he offers to pay her and tutor her in exchange for spending time together. I'm sorry. You say you're sorry one more time, I will shove a knife right into you, I swear to God. Go ahead, what's it gonna do? My internal organs are two feet in at least. As Charlie's condition worsens, Ellie spends more and more time at the apartment uncovering aspects of her father's life. Aronofsky brings us into Charlie's world, a place where grief and forgiveness live side by side to create an intimate and compassionate portrait of a man who allowed his life to spiral out of control. The specter of death may hang over every frame of the whale, and yet Fraser manages to bring optimism to a character not long for this world. He's looking to set things straight and make sure that Ellie will have the tools to have a decent life after he goes. It's a tremendous performance that soars, transcending the stage-bound nature of the story. 
Here's my interview with Brendan Fraser and the film screenwriter Sam Hunter. We talk about what Fraser learned from playing the character and how Hunter changed the script from the original stage play and much, much more. You're an amazing person, Ellie. I couldn't ask for a more incredible daughter. Are you actually trying to parent me right now? Who would want me to be a part of their life? I have a quote, Brendan, from you from Vanity Fair, and it says that you took this role in part because I wanted to know what I was capable of. What did you learn about maybe yourself or your craft that felt different than shooting other films that you've been in? It takes an incredibly strong person to inhabit the body that Charlie does. And I, I by simple virtue that I could take all of that apparatus off at the end of the day, but I still had a sort of swimming, undulating sense of almost vertigo that stayed with me. Yeah. And it, it gave me a, a real visceral appreciation or understanding of those who live with eating disorders or obesity. And, and I think that judging by the response that we're seeing from the whale, um, I think that it's also reorienting the way people feel about those who live with that. And it does my heart good. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that changed me. You're listening to The Whale star Brendan Fraser and screenwriter Sam Hunter on The Richard Krause Show. See the film in theaters now. And Sam, this play is 10 years old that the, the film is based on. Um, when you were writing it, it, it goes to some very dark places, and yet I left the film feeling fairly optimistic about human nature. How did you figure that out? How do you how do you find that balance between those two? Uh, I, I think things that feel like polar opposite. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this play, like a lot of my other play, maybe all of my plays, are in some ways about hard won hope. Mm. Uh, because for me, that's real. Like I, th- I, I do have hope. But I think it's hard won, you know, and and I think that's what I really connected to throughout writing this play was was um, I'm not going to shy away from the darker things, the darker things that I very personally connect to, you know. I mean, I, I you know, I, I grew up in the town where this play is set and, and, and I was a gay kid in a religious school that taught me that people like me shouldn't exist. Um, and I self-comforted with food for for a really long time and so so it comes from you know an incredibly personal place in that way brendan you talked about seeing the suit that you wear the prosthetic suit that you wear for the first time tell me a little bit about that i i understand that it took like seven hours to put it on in the totality of it the, the tests were about yeah around that time just learn how to do it more and more, Adrian Moreau, Canada's own, I should say, um, got it down to like two, two and a half with uh, almost like a pit crew ability as I could snooze in the chair at four o'clock in the morning. But um, this is a, a, a costume and makeup um, that hasn't been done that I am aware of. And I looked at a lot of bodysuits over the years and this one obeys gravity and has respect for physics and uh, uses that uh, reality to inform the performance, to perform the performer instead of the other way around. Yeah. And so I, I suppose after the first day, 
you must have had a different understanding of what it would be to be that size by wearing that suit. When, when it came off, I still had a sense yeah. of uh, like, like vertigo yeah. almost, and um, and and a deeper appreciation for those who can't remove an apparatus as you know as quickly. And, you know, four or five hours in, one hour out. I I, I felt I was living it, and um, that was clearly helpful to play the role um, and everything else I needed to know were Sam's words and Darren's direction. A director is really just the man who tells you where to go and how to get there and he tells you what to say along the way and I felt good hands on all in that regard. Sam, what changes did you have to make uh, in terms of creating the cinematic version of the whale from the stage. Yeah, so, I mean, this has been a really long process. Darren approached me, you know, we saw the play like 10 years ago. And, and so I've had a really long time uh, to develop the script, and we've done many, 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 many drafts. And what I'm really happy about is I think a lesser director would do that thing of like, well, we need to open it up. We need to... Yeah, yeah. Go to school, you know, exactly. Take it out of the apartment, and 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 early on, when Darren said, "I want to keep it in the apartment," I was so happy, uh, but also, you know, knew it was going to be an incredible challenge, both for me as a screenwriter and also Darren as a director. Um, a challenge that I think he's met beautifully. Absolutely. Um, but it was it was amazing, you know, finding the like visual vocabulary of that apartment, you know, it, it you know, and finding the the history of Charlie's life in that apartment and how it's how it's reflected in the physical space was uh, was wonderful. The bookcases were curated <laughs> with everything that he read to inform us who he was. Yeah. I mean, at the end of a movie, there's usually like a yard sale, and, <laughs> and I, I wanted to go and clear off the top <laughs> shelf, but all those books were spoken for. That was like, that was, your that was Sam's library. That was Best Actor nominee Brendan Fraser and screenwriter Sam Hunter of The Whale. And that finishes up our look at Oscar nominations for The Richard Krause Show. Be sure to tune in next week. Until then, stay happy, stay safe. We'll talk to you again soon.